Philippians chapter 4, turn in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 8 of chapter 4 today. And last week, uh, thank you for coming back, by the way. Um, we talked about forgiveness and reconciliation and how it was a non-negotiable in the kingdom of God. I felt all the air sucked out of the room. But I hope that you begin... Uh, last week, you began the process of forgiveness with maybe people you've been holding on to some hurt. Uh, maybe you have, uh, you're in the process of reconciliation. Man, that is the word coming to life in you, right? And so uh, my prayer is that uh, you continue to pursue those things because it's so incredibly important. And so... Uh, Last week, Paul's encouraging reconciliation between two women in the church. And this morning, he's going to remind the church that God is in control and he is the ultimate giver of peace. So contextually, remember this, the Philippian church is under persecution. And it's not just the Philippian church. Just if you follow Jesus during that time, during that point in time, if you follow Jesus, you were signing a death warrant. Uh, Paul told Timothy, 2 Corinthians, or 2 Timothy 3.12, anyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So this is, this is an, a, a team sport, right? If you begin following Jesus in this culture, you're gonna die. That's contextually. So is it fair to say that their living situation was tense during this season, Right? Tough time to be a follower of Jesus back in this time. And Paul is going to give them the antidote for anxiety, the unexplainable peace of God. Yes. Unexplainable peace of God. So um, let's move into our time. Modern day, uh, think about the level of anxiety that we're facing on a daily basis in the world. So if you follow the news, we are on the brink of World War III. I think that that's actually a real possibility. Does anybody agree with me? I mean, you, it, when you read it and, and, and you view it on the news, it's like, man, things just tend to be moving in not a good direction. And what happens in those moments when you think about that? I mean, that can bring a little bit of fear and anxiety. Uh, think about the race, racial disunity in our nation. You know, it's been going on for years, but isn't it just kind of smoldering right beneath the surface? And it just takes some little flashpoint to happen that it comes back with a vengeance like it started yesterday. And we see it, it's right there. And it's like this, this thing that, that, man, if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time or do the wrong thing at the wrong time, it's just gonna flash up. We're coming out of a world health crisis. Does everybody remember the pandemic? Right? I mean, we deny its existence in Montgomery County, but the rest of the world has been, yeah, has been a part of this. Yeah, you, yeah, you can clap. All right. Um, hey, here's the bottom line. We've got friends and neighbors, family members who passed away during the pandemic, right? And it's happening all over the world. And uh, as we're beginning to move into a new season, I mean, we remember, I, I was, you know, uh, this week, you know, you get those memories that pop up on Facebook. And one of the memories was me sharing a video to you about the pandemic. And I, so I watched it because I, I wanted to kind of just relive. So what was I thinking back then? And what I said was, hey guys, this thing's happening. We're gonna take the week off. We'll be back next week. 
yeah, that didn't happen, right? And, but, but, you know, we had no idea. There was, a, there was a fear of the unknown because no one knew what was really going on. And as the weeks went on and we began to see that, man, this is a real deal. And it brings anxiety and fear. We see political polarization, everybody lining up behind their party or their candidate. And um, man, that brings some anxiety, right? As we line up to fight and argue our position, um, our value system is crumbling around us. Divorce rampant this week. Two more church leaders fell, one local, uh, one international, and it seems to be pandemic that church leaders are falling over and over and over again. And that erodes confidence in church leadership, doesn't it? And as a follower of Jesus, the words of Paul to Timothy apply today. If you choose to live a godly life, expect to be persecuted. So expect to be persecuted in our context, misunderstood, labeled intolerant, or worse. So as I describe our current reality, how does that make you feel? All of those things that are working against us. Do you feel kind of that feeling of weightiness? So I just want you to close your eyes for just a minute. Nothing weird's gonna happen, just close, close your eyes. And here's all I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself an honest question. On a scale of one to 10, how anxious am I this morning? Could be anxiety based on one of the things that I mentioned, or maybe you got something going on in your life and you just feel really out of sorts. Give yourself a number. You're not going to have to share this number with anybody so you can be honest. So here's the good news. You can open your eyes. Um, today's for you. Today's for you. Because Paul's going to lay out this beautiful picture of how to combat anxiety. So look at verse four. I'm going to read through this and then um, we're going to walk through it together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Yeah. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm gonna attack this just a little bit differently. And here's why. As I was studying this week, um, uh, I'm reading through it and here's what caught my eye. Verse 5b, the Lord is near. He says, uh, you know, let your gentleness be evident to all, period. The Lord is near, period. And then what's the next thing he says in verse 6a? Do not be anxious about anything. And so I want our thesis statement today to be built around this. The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. 
The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. I want us to say that together. The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. Say it again. The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. We're going to say that several times this morning because here's what I know. We need to retrain, renew our minds because for a lot of us, we don't believe that. Number one, you don't believe the Lord is near and, and you don't believe that a freedom from anxiety is actually possible. And so I hope over the course of the morning that you begin to come into agreement with this statement. Let's say it again. The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. It's the essence of the last song we sing. In that chorus, it says, that's where I'll be found, standing here, surrounded by your peace. That's out of Psalm 139.5 where he says, you hem me in behind and before. Think about that idea that whatever you're going through, wherever you are in life, you are hemmed in. God has already gone before you. The battle is not yours, but the Lord's. He's gone before you and you don't have to worry about your past. He is shoring up behind you. You don't have to look back. You don't have to worry about who's chasing you because he's got it covered. You are hemmed in, surrounded by the presence of God. Everyone who follows Jesus, you're hemmed in. You're surrounded. So there's a gap between the truth and what we believe. And so hopefully today we are gonna access and begin pursuing the truth that we are surrounded by the presence, by the peace of God. God is not distant, but present. He's not uninvolved, but attentive. He is not unaware, but fully engaged. Psalm uh, 73, 28 says, it is good for me to be near God. As for me, it is good to be near God. What is the psalmist saying there? It's good to be near God. Yeah, this is not rocket science, right? Uh, that he's saying, listen, for me, it's good to be near God. What is the opposite of that? It is bad to not be near God. The safest place for you to be in life is near God. Why? Because he is hemming you in. He has gone before you and behind you. And if you are trying to run out ahead of him, or if you are lagging behind him, if you're allowing your past to dictate your future and you're living outside of what he has for you, you're just missing the blessing of God, the good God who is for you. It is good for me to be near God. It's the safest place to be. So with all of that, let's look at this passage, the before and the behind with this whole premise. The Lord is near So don't be anxious about anything. Look at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm gonna say it, rejoice. So rejoice in the Lord when? When? What does always mean? Yeah, it means always. It means all the time. I don't just rejoice when I get my way. That's the easy time to rejoice, right? I rejoice when things don't go my way. Why? Because that's a part of always. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
And why? Let's say it together. Because the Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. Are you following me? I can rejoice always because of the nearness of God. I can rejoice in the Lord always because I know he's got my back. He has hemmed me in. Joy is the theme of this letter. Chapter one, Paul said he prayed with them with joy. That even when pastors were preaching with wrong motives, what does he say? I rejoice because the gospel is going forward. Then he says, I rejoice because of your prayers for me. Chapter two, he says that his joy was complete when they were living in a like-minded way. And then he says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, even if my blood is spilled, he's saying, listen, I'm moving toward death. And even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, I what? Rejoice. What? He also told them to invite Epaphroditus back into the church when he comes with great joy. Chapter three, verse one, what does he say? Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you who I love and long for, my what? Joy and my crown. All throughout this letter to the Philippians, joy is at the heart of it. Joy, joy. Joy. And now here in verse four, he's emphatic. He says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. So we need a good definition of joy. Joy is inner contentment. It's akin to peace. It's this inner sense that everything is good. It's not happiness. Happiness is dependent on circumstances You get a new car and you are happy. You get the first bill for the payment. You're no longer happy, right? Yeah, I mean, so happiness is dependent completely on circumstances where joy is not dependent on circumstances at all. In fact, joy is in spite of the circumstance. So rejoicing is an external symptom of an inward state meaning this. Remember the context. He's basically saying, listen, life is hard. Rejoice anyway. Following Jesus is going to cost you your life. Rejoice in that. I'm I'm chained to two prisoners as I write this in prison, and I'm saying I rejoice in that. Okay, so does that make sense? It doesn't make sense in the natural because I'm not naturally going to choose joy. When things don't go my way, I don't want to choose joy. I want to choose frustration or disappointment or anger or frustration. I want to choose anything but joy. But I think about the half-brother of Jesus, James, one, two, one of my favorite passages. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you encounter trials of various kinds. What? I mean, come on. Thank you, James. Man, have joy in your struggle. When it comes, you're like, whoa, bring it on. But then he tells us why. 
He says, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance must have its perfect work that I, that I may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. That the goal of the trial is for my maturity and my completeness so I can have joy in that. Amen. Could it be that you've missed the whole point of a relationship with Jesus because he's trying to make you more like him and part of making you more like him is learning how to be joyful in the midst of suffering? What if, what if we've misunderstood what it means? And how can I have joy? Because the Lord is near. Because he is near to me. Joy is a pro- byproduct of the spirit in your life. So not only is the Lord near, the Lord's more than just near. He's in you. When you said yes to Jesus, you received the spirit of the living God. And Romans 8, 11 says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you in the form of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Paul has a list in Galatians 5, verse 22. We know it as the fruit, singular, of the spirit. It's not the fruits of the spirit, all right? Get it right. All right, so the fruit of the spirit. These are the characteristics of the life that the Spirit gives to us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. These nine things, not an exhaustive list, but we would be a lot better off if we lived in those things that are already accessible to us. So the Lord is near, but he's near because he's in you. And guess what? The joy that all of us desire in our life already lives in the, in, in the life of every believer. You just have to access what's already there. So who do you think would tell you that you can't be joyful? The enemy, John 10, 10. The thief who comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. He's come to take from you what is yours and he can't take it from you, so he'll just lie to you. And unfortunately, the lie's easier to believe than the truth because the truth doesn't make sense. In the flesh, it does not make sense to have joy in the midst of trial. And yet, the Spirit of God gives us joy. And when we access it, it changes everything. It's a picture of what Samantha said. It's a picture of Jesus in the boat. There's a storm and Jesus is in the boat. Did, did Jesus snore? Probably. Right. And just imagine, that's how, that's how he knew he was asleep. Right? Dude's sound asleep and the storm is raging. They're scared to death. And he wakes up and is probably like, seriously, y'all? Storm stop. Good? Okay. Right? So, but, but he is our peace. So, Remember, the Holy Spirit had not come yet. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, now we have equal access to everything Jesus had because of his relationship with his Father. You have that today. Peace, joy. So why? Because the Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. Say it with me. The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. Look at verse five. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. So again, gentleness, 
It's one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. That's pretty cool. So now he's hit two of them. Joy, gentleness, and because Jesus is in you, you have access to it. Contextually, he's just told Euodia and Syntyche to work out their differences. And so now in verse five, he's saying here not to just be gentle with each other, but let your gentleness be evident to all, right? Gentleness should be the mark of your life. You should be marked by gentleness, meaning in every situation, you're gentleness. It's a natural response by a follower of Jesus, gentleness. How you doing with that? What might cause you to become defensive, aggressive, rough with people? Fear, tension, anxiety, feeling disrespected, misunderstood. When you feel misunderstood, do you tend to go, it's cool? (laughs) No, no. Um, So I can be pretty direct. And uh, when Jesus captured my heart, December 2010, partnership with the truth. And so, man, I'm just, I'm going to be a truth teller. And, and, and so my thought is, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to tell you the truth and then you go sort it out with Jesus. Right. So I, I just, I'm going to keep it real with you. And, and then how you respond is not my responsibility. Right. So I'm living under that fundamental idea. And a couple of weeks ago, um, I said something and kind of acted in a way that was pretty abrupt pretty aggressive with somebody just in the name of just, hey, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just telling you the truth. And um, I made the comment while I was kind of unpacking this with them. I'm like, hey, it's not personal. Well, it was personal to them, right? And so uh, number one, that was so dismissive of how they felt in the moment, right? That I'm like, hey, it's not personal to me. It was intensely personal to them. And so, man, I'm just kind of running roughshod and just uh, kind of giving my two cents on why I was justified in feeling and saying what I was saying. Um, Here's the bottom line. I'm a bull in a china shop, right? I broke both my arms in a basketball game in 2008 running into a wall full speed, right? You want me on your team, right? I'm I'm naturally highly competitive. I I have this will to win. And so I'm just going to run and run and run. And hey, come with me. What's the matter with you? Let's go. (laughs) But that's not gentle. That I can be pretty abrasive at times. That I can say things that dishonor a person all in the name of telling the truth. I can ignore Ephesians 4, 15, speak the truth, how? In love. So I need to recognize and access what is already in me. Gentleness is in me. I just gotta choose to access it. Why? Because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. So so because of that, I don't need to be anxious about anything. 
And know this, anxiety, when I am not living under the premise that the Lord is near, not only is he near, he's in me. And if I'm choosing not to access that, I'm going to be anxious, I'm going to be defensive, I'm going to be aggressive to get my point across. Do you see it? Yes. So gentleness is accessible why? Let's say it together. Because the Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. Is it seeping in a little bit yet? Okay, look, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So now Paul is inviting them to release their anxiety through prayer. So think about this. Remember what Jesus, remember his invitation? Matthew 11, 28 through 30. He says, hey, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Burdened. There's another word for burdened, anxious. All you who are weary and burdened, man, bring it to me and I'll give you rest. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, I want to take it on. I want to take whatever you're anxious about. Let me take it on. Come to me. Give it to me. And then he says, listen, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me from what? Gentle and humble of heart. You'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, listen, I want to trade your heavy burden for my peace. I welcome it. So imagine that you want to deliver something heavy to someone, okay? So you've got a a heavy package that you want to deliver. So what are you naturally going to do? You want to get as close to them as possible to deliver it, right? You want to carry it the least amount of steps possible in order to deliver that heavy thing. Well, here's the good news. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. What does that mean? It means that literally you go, he's right there. He is right there in you, beside you. He has hemmed you. He's gone in front of you. He's behind you. You just have to release your burden to him. How cool is that? He is offering you to offload your burden to him because he's near. I don't want to belabor this subject, but I, in the Grand Canyon, I, 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 I talked about it a few weeks ago, this backpack. Well, I talked about it for about a year. Then I took a break, and then I mentioned it again last month. But I think about that backpack that was way too heavy, and there was no way of making it out of the canyon without someone to carry my burden. Seriously, I, 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 I would have had to have been helicoptered out. I wanted to be helicoptered out. But I don't make it on my own. I needed Sean Castillo to carry my pack. I needed Josh Agnew to carry my pack. I needed someone to come alongside me because I could not do it on my own. And know this, you can't do it on your own. Some of you are carrying the weight of the world right now. And here's, here's the phrase, guys, you may be the worst at this, but um, uh, you say, I got myself into it. How many of you have ever said that? Right. So self-inflicted pain is often the worst kind of pain, right? 
because you're like, man, how dumb was I? Well, now I don't want to ask anybody for help because I don't want to have to unpack with them what a stupid thing I did in the first place, right? So what is that? It's pride. It's shame. It's a fear of being fully known. And no, all of that is what the enemy heaps on you because he wants to keep you living in a burden, He wants to keep you living in anxiety and shame and fear. And so he heaps it on you day after day. Some of you have been living with a secret and you're scared to death that someone, maybe the person sitting next to you is gonna find out and you believe it's gonna be the end of life as you know it. And I I just wanna let you know, you're absolutely right. But know this, the life you're living currently is a lie. It's not even real. Because until you're willing to live in truth, you're living in a lie already. And so truth sets you free. Jesus said it in John 8, 32. And so the question is, wouldn't you love to be free? Wouldn't you love to no longer have something that the enemy is using to keep you down, to bury you in shame and fear? He's offering you a way out. And here, Paul says it, listen, Don't worry about anything. Let your request be made known to God. This morning, receive the nearness of God. He's before you, behind you. He wants to walk beside you and carry your burden. Why? Because the Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. Y'all are losing some steam. Let's say it together. The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. Verse seven, look at what hymns you in. You ready? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace stands as a watchman over your heart and mind. And it's peace beyond your understanding. What does that mean? It means you don't understand it right? It is that moment when everything is falling apart and you're like, I don't know why I feel so peaceful. (laughs) Nothing in the natural says I should be at peace. December 4th, 2010, on December 3rd, Yvonne told me that she wanted a divorce, that she didn't want to be married to me anymore. On December 4th, I began spewing sewage out of my life, confessing to God all of these things. And all of a sudden, the only way I can describe it is a bolt of lightning, electricity through my body. It was the freakiest thing I've ever experienced. And in that moment, you know what happened? I began to laugh uncontrollably. And you know what came over me? peace. And guess what? Yvonne still wanted a divorce. Things weren't looking good. And in that moment, here's what I knew. Jesus, it's you and me, and that's all that matters. Whatever happens. And as I was able to unpack that with Yvonne, she experienced God's peace through me. That's all I can imagine. Because she had no peace. You experience that in your life, that everything just seems, uh, and yet you have peace. If you haven't, then you've not fully experienced the peace that's beyond your understanding, the peace that lives outside of you getting your way. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, listen, disciples, you know, I'm about to die. 
And so my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. But then what does he say? I don't give peace the way the world does because the world's definition of peace is the absence of conflict. So know that part of peace is the absence of conflict, but the bigger view of peace in the kingdom of God is it's right in the middle of the conflict. And that's why it doesn't make sense because we cannot reconcile that thought. I can have peace when things aren't working out. But Jesus defines peace as calm in the middle of the storm. Psalm 139, again, he, he has hemmed you in behind and before you, and that is peace. Again, it's one of the characteristics that the Spirit gives, so it is in you so you can access it. It's our default position as followers of Jesus. Do you, do you realize that? Your default position as a follower of Jesus should be, I'm in peace. Because of you, because of your circumstance? No, because of the spirit of God in you. So if you're not at peace, you're not in full alignment with Jesus. If you're not at peace, you've allowed something or someone to steal your sense of peace. I think Brian Jenkins, if I recall, described it this way. If you're anxious or burdened, you need to go back to the place that you laid down your peace and you picked up the anxiety. So go back to the crash site, right? If you're living in an anxiety and there's a situation, you need to go back to the place that you picked that up because as soon as you picked up that burden, you laid down your peace. You can't have both. So go back lay down your anxiety and pick up the peace of God. It's a choice you make, an exchange that you make and say it together, the Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. Okay, check this out, verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. So now he's revealed to us where the battle actually exists. Where does the battle exist? In your mind. Everybody touch your head right here. Yeah, it exists in your mind. Do you realize that the battle for your life is, it's, it's all, are you gonna choose the agenda of the spirit or the agenda of the flesh, the agenda of the enemy? It's all right here in your mind. It's where you win or lose. And he gives us this list. I mean, Proverbs 23, 7 in the New King, King James Version says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So you become the, the sum total of your thoughts. So your thoughts, the way that you are thinking is moving you in a direction. So if you want to change your direction, you've got to change your thoughts. Yes. Yes. You've got to begin to think in a new way. And guess what? Thinking in a new way, there's a word for that that we use in the church. It's called repentance. Repent is to think in a new way about your sin. I don't want to live that way anymore. If you want to think in a new way, you've got to begin to pursue new thoughts. And so he gives a great list of what we should think about, dwell on, pursue in our minds. Those things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. So anything less is competing for your peace. 
Okay, so remember last week when we got really uncomfortable because we said forgiveness and reconciliation is not optional in the kingdom of God and like all the air was sucked out of the room for a minute? So know this. Anything that is not true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, anything less than that is competing for your peace. So what does that mean? This is a picture of input and output. What you put in will come out. The output of your life is merely a symptom of what's going on inside. And you can control to a large degree everything that you put in your mind, true or false. So uh, my daughter, Abby, uh, she was leading worship at a conference in Baton Rouge this weekend, and they asked her to speak, kind of give a TED talk on something. And uh, this was at the centerpiece of her talk. First of all, um, she's pretty shy, and so she didn't tell me or Yvonne that she was speaking, and Yvonne was with her. And sometime about a half hour before she was speaking, she said, hey, did you know that... Abby speaking at this conference? I said, what? I mean, there were like 250, 300 girls there. And I'm like, really? She's going to speak like out loud to people? Because I, I, I didn't see it coming. And so Yvonne recorded it and sent it to me. And I mean, I was in tears the whole time because it was so incredible, incredible. But this verse was at the centerpiece of her talk. And one of the things that she said that was really impactful to me was that she thinks about this list the things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And she says, I won't let anything into my life that doesn't meet those characteristics. Wow. That she watches, she, she watches what she sees, so the things that she watches on, you know, whatever, um, who she spends time with, what she listens to. Yes. I'm like, well, that's hardcore, Right? And then she quoted Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. You know what she said? I want to see God. And because I want to see God, I, that, that is my ultimate goal, my ultimate calling. I want to see and experience the fullness of who God is. So I don't want anything to compete with that. Amen. Here's the problem. For most of us in the room, we have chosen a lesser God. And then our, our, our waters are muddied, our eyes are cloudy when it comes to seeing, hearing, understanding God. But it's because of the input in our lives that we've not looked and said, hey, is this true? Is this noble? Is this right? Is this pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent or praiseworthy? Amen. And so the question becomes, again, you get to control that. The question becomes, how bad do you want to see God? How bad do you want to experience the fullness of who God is? And let's be honest, I promise you, most of you in the room right now are like, bro, that's hardcore, right? That's a little much. This weekend, I deleted social media. I got off Facebook and Instagram and I just said, you know what? That is causing me so much anxiety because I read it and I get angry, right? I see what people post and because I'm a pastor, I can't respond to it. And that just like, I'm like, now I'm just like stuffing it and it's bringing me anxiety. 
And so I'm ranting to Yvonne about something that I read. And she said the other day, you just need to get off Facebook. And I'm like, get back, woman, right? <laughs> but she was out of town this weekend. And um, as I was preparing, I feel like the Lord said to me, hey, whatever's pure and noble, whatever, whatever is right and excellent, trustworthy. And I realized, well, that's not feeding any of that in my life. You know what? I slept like a baby last night. I didn't see a single post that any of you posted. And I woke up this morning refreshed because I don't have to be privately mad at you, right? I mean, I just, I just, I look at it. And, and, and so you fill in the blanks, right? I'm not going to tell you what you can watch and what you can't watch, what you can listen to and what you can't listen to. That's between you and Jesus, except The Bachelor, right? I mean, I just, I, I, and you know, I joke about that a lot, but, but, but let, me, let me just say, if we want to look at a pattern of the world, that is a pattern of the world, that that is how to, to have a healthy relationship, to go on a show and fight with other women over a man. I mean, that is just, that is an example. But here's the thing, if we, if we really went through and identified every, every show, we just have to throw our TVs away, right? And guess what? Maybe that's what we need to do. Some of you are like, okay, dude, you've gone too far. Well, here's the thing. Whatever it is in your life that you, that you begin in your mind to get defensive and hold on to, it has become God in your life because anything that you begin to defend to the hilt, that is your God. And so begin to be honest with yourself to say, you know what? That is not good for me. That is not right for me. That is not noble and pure. It is not promoting seeing God in my life. And I want to see God so badly that I'm willing to push any pursuit to the back burner so that I can know Jesus. So in order to see God or know he's near, I have to protect my heart and mind from anything that's going to muddy the waters. Think about Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart at all costs. Above all us, guard your heart. Why? Because everything flows from it. Everything you do, the external movement of your life all flows from how much you're guarding your heart and your mind. Then Romans 12, 2. Don't conform to the patterns of the world, what I just talked about, but be transformed by what? the renewing of your mind. We need to retrain our mind. That's why we're saying this over and over and over again that the Lord is near. So do not be anxious about anything because that needs to be our battle cry. The Lord is near and because the Lord is near, I don't want to do anything to cheapen our relationship. Amen. I want to protect it at all cost. Someone too, David he says, blessed is man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the paths of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. For his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates when? Day and night. So we empty ourselves of the things that are not promoting seeing and hearing God and we replace it with meditating on the word. There's a new governor on your life, a new template. But it's under the banner of this. The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. Say it one last time. The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. 
So I just want to make a series of statements as we close. Because the Lord is near, I have access to joy at all times. Will you receive that? Because the Lord is near, I have access to joy at all times. Because the Lord is near, I have access to gentleness. Because the Lord is near, I can offload my burdens on him. Because the Lord is near, I have access to his unexplainable peace. Because the Lord is near, I will protect my mind and heart at all costs. This is an antidote for worry. The nearness of God. And the nearness of God is ultimately found in the cross of Jesus. That Jesus took all of your worry. He took all of your fear. He took all of your shame. He took all of your willful independence and he took it and he hung on the cross with it. And so every time we take communion, we're reminded of the broken body and the shed blood. He is our peace and he made peace for all of us through the cross. That's when he drew near. And by receiving what he did on the cross, this payment for your willful independence, payment for your shame, receiving it, now you get to live in the kingdom of God and you get to access all of the joy that you can choke down, all of the gentleness that you need to live with other people, all of the peace that you need. And now through the spirit, you have a, a new governor for your life that, that, that you literally can say, spirit of God, I feel uncomfortable right now. Why? And he says, well, because you partnered with the enemy in this area of your life and I need for you to walk away from it. Again, for some of you, you're like, bro, that's just, that's just too much. I showed up here to check a box and to learn how to be a better parent. And Here's what I'd say to you. You're a better parent when you're following Jesus. You're a better husband when you're following Jesus. You're a better wife when you're following Jesus. You're a better coworker when you're following Jesus. You're a better neighbor when you're following Jesus. You're a, a, just a better citizen of heaven when you're saying, Jesus, you're all that matters. I want to see you clearly and I don't want anything to get in the way of my intimacy with you.